Well, folks, welcome to the Nobleman Podcast. This is episode number 53, and we are recording this on April the 1st. This is April Fool's Day, but I know you're no fool. And so instead of talking about April Fool's, we're going to be talking about April wisdom. We're going to be talking with guys who can share wisdom about how to walk with and follow and lead well when Jesus is at the center of what you're doing. So we're talking about April wisdom all this month. Our first guest is Dr. Paul Chipman. Uh, now, I, I know him as Pastor Paul, Pastor Chip, Chip, but now he's Dr. Paul Chipman. And so I have to I have to sit up straight in my chair as I address him and talk about this. But I love this brother. I'm thankful for the work that he's done, planting churches, ministering, pastoring. But this latest work that we're going to talk about is uh, is a book that he's written called Think Right and Live Right. So, so we'll get into that. But Chip, Tell us, I'm sorry, Dr. Chipman, tell us, <laughs> tell us where you are in life right now. Give us a, give me an update on your wife and kids. <laughs> All right, man. Wait, well, Mike, you can call me Chip, man. <laughs> but I introduced you to myself for telling you, you can remember my name by, by chocolate chip. Huh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so anyway, so where I am right now, man, I've been married to my lovely wife for about 30 some odd years. And Wait a minute. Three, uh, you better know 30 some odd. I'm going to put you on the spot. How many is it? <laughs> Your my wife might listen to this, guys. This is a men's ministry point right here. Don't ever say thirty some odd. Holy mackerel! Let me just help you. You better you better get your calculator out and figure it hey, out. Get calculator out. So so thirty five. Okay. Is. <laughs> I got married very young, man. I hear you. And I have um, father a three son. My three sons. It'd be a great name for a TV program, man. You know. There you go. <laughs> and and my, and my guys are all married, and so blessed to know that God has been faithful in in bringing us along and and on this particular journey. Because um, you know, life for me started out real, you know, real fast. You know, everything was kind of going on the incline, man. Really going well, and then you know the old storms came, and because I wasn't used to those storms, they boom, it came a crash. But in the midst of that whole crash and coming out, sort of shook me to the foundations to ask the question, answer the question, who am I? Yep. Man, we tend to always put out, we, we align our worth with our work, you know, and that's how our, our identity. But when your work is gone and all the things you build are gone and your castles come crumbling down to, you know, to the ground, then it says, well, who am I? And that's what the that's what the journey I've kind of been on, and that's what the book is about, helping me to discover that I had built a lot of my life on sink and sand, and when the storm came, I hadn't built my identity on the rock, Jesus Christ, my Savior. I'm a child of God first and foremost, and that's what the journey I've been on, realizing that. Now, so, but you were a pastor through all of this. You were serving in the church. You went to DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. You... You've served in some really cool scenarios. So tell us a little bit of that background. I know you were in Dallas and you've been in Baltimore, but here in Virginia. So tell us about some of that ministry, because there are folks listening to this who would think that pastors never get discouraged and they they don't struggle with the things that that I struggle with. So so speak to that. You know, um, that's very interesting because of the fact that, you know, before I was called to be a pastor, I was a man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and a human being at that. So 
one one of one of the dangers sometimes of uh, of being a pastor is that the, the Bible, the book, and they told us this in seminary. The Bible basically can become just a source of of, of developing sermons, and 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 it can become just another work that we're doing. That's my vocation. And so for me, you know, I, I came up, gave my heart to the Lord when I was a young fellow, you know, age 17 or so. And because of that, you know, I went off to college. I was at one time, believe it or not, a really good athlete, Mike. <laughs> oh, I believe it. <laughs> In fact, Mike, I almost made the pros, except um, I just lacked two things, size and ability. <laughs> 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 well, I had the size, but not the ability. So <laughs> I got you. And so, and so from the college, then I got a call from the Lord to go into the ministry. So I ended up, you know, going to Dallas Theological Seminary. Met a really a lot of great people there, and did uh, a lot of ministry. Did some church planning there as well. And when I came out of of seminary, I, you know, I, I was married. I had three young sons. Uh, this you won't believe, Mike, but my sons. Um, I had one twenty-two month old. We adopted a 15-month-old, and then my youngest son was six. <laughs> okay, so we had yeah, we had them all together, man. My wife hasn't recovered since, man. <laughs> and so I'm, so I'm graduating from from seminary, and I'm figuring out what am I going to do. And I said, well, I got to take care of my family, and I got a telephone call from a, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Tony Evans, said, would you consider going to Baltimore, Maryland, to pastor a church? church that I grew up in a part of my life growing up. And so I said, well, sure, sure, man. I need to do something. Yeah. <laughs> I got two bad habits. I like to eat and sleep indoors. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So I went there, man, and we had a lot of fun time and spent about 10 years there. And then after about 10 years there, went through all sorts of difficulties. And I shared some of those things in my testimony, but we'll, we'll wait on those. And then left that church to go and, and plant a church. Um, and then that particular church plan didn't go out, go that well. And then I, um, and so that's when, that's when my trials unbeknown to me were beginning that God was in the early stages of, of, of my beginning, my wilderness experience, something that I had never really known before. And then I got an opportunity to then, um, <clears throat> when the Baltimore thing that worked to come to Virginia, and then I began to work with the SBCV to do a church plan. And then, and I had a lot of dreams and aspirations as, as a young man. And then that began not going right, but it really wasn't the circumstance, the situation. I had an ideal situation, but it was the thoughts that were in my head that were messing me up. It was my thoughts. And I knew people like you and I knew Pastor Brian. So I had a, a network of some really good people, but what was happening was I, I did not learn the importance of managing my thoughts. And so when thoughts would pop into my head, I would think about those thoughts. And many of those thoughts, which I found out through writing a book, 75% of our thoughts are negative. And what was what should have been a really an ideal situation ended up plummeting and failing because I didn't guard my mind. And so that then brought me into a, a negative sort of situation. Um, but yeah, I had passed quite a bit, but and through that time, that's when I began to realize that I had built my self-image and my self-esteem on the things that I had accomplished. And, and when, and God can, you know, as the old folk used to say, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the Lord just kind of took it all away, man. <laughs> so how did that, um, I, I know your wife is a counselor and so she's involved in all this. How did this, 
How, how did this affect your marriage and your family and all? I know, I know I'm getting kind of personal here, but man, this is real stuff that guys are dealing with and wrestling with. So how, how do you find yourself there? And what does that feel like in the midst of all that as you're struggling? Well, in, in the midst of it all, you know, one of the problems that we men have many times is we don't talk about stuff. Women tend to process stuff verbally. As a man, I tend to kind of process stuff internally. Many times I just simply wouldn't share with her what was going on. And she would just say, you know, she said on one time occasion as I was going through this kind of phase and fog, she said, well, you know, where's the chip that I married? I, I missed that guy. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. <laughs> and I looked at and I said, I miss him too. I, said, I don't know what's going on, but I said, something's not right. So I kept a lot of it to myself. But by her being a counselor and being a therapist, she was able to kind of draw stuff out of me. And then, and but otherwise, I would just keep things secret publicly, you know, because of my personality type. You get me around people, man, and I get excited. We can roll. But it's, but it's, it's, it's in, when I'm alone. I remember hearing a country song that said this, I'm in bad company when I'm all alone. Yeah. And see, I didn't know how to deal with those private thoughts of mine. And so, therefore, they caused me to pretty much kind of uh, plummet downward as I entertained those thoughts more and more and began to believe the lies that the enemy was telling me, that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you know, you don't have the credentials. Now, if you look at it on paper, man, it looks I'm pretty impressive on paper. Well, see, but your mind is such that it will believe whatever you tell it and perceive it as truth if it hears it enough times. And so my self-condemning thoughts into nature, my wife was able to kind of begin to pry me out of some of those particular things. And then <clears throat> that that proved to be helpful. But yeah, it had a major impact on my marriage, times of not talking, not communicating, being impatient with her, being impatient with my sons, withdrawing, you know, and, and many times as men as we do, we like, we're like with David's men in the cave of Abdullah. We just pulled off someplace. And the problem with isolation is. The more you isolate yourself, the more you desire to isolate yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's what leads to depression. And I was just in that cave. And fortunately, by God's grace, I had enough people to, to come and to and to speak with me. My wife was there. And Mike, whether you believe it or not, you, you were one of the guys. Because I knew, I knew, whenever I was feeling down, I said, man, I could always call my man, Mike. <laughs> and Michael, and Michael have a word for me. And, and your ability, Mike, just to listen to people, it's... it's, it's in a non-judgmental way, is really was one of the major things that really helped me to get through this thing. To know I, I have a friend who hear me, he's of another race, he'll he'll understand me. And, and your ability just to be able to relate to guys, hear their stories, enter into their pain was one of the big things that kept me going. That's why through these 10, 12 years, Mike, I always have kept in touch with you. Because you you've been that body to me, man. You've been that guy who's been there. Who, uh, if I needed something, I would call you. And if you could do it, you were there for me. And you were a great ray of hope in a very dark time. And I just wanted to just share that with you. But the thought of you just brings some tears to my eyes. I, man. I, I am humbled by that. Um, I, I tell you, one of the things that uh, it came to mind as you're talking about this is that I remember you telling me stories about making a commitment when you were working with the church here. You humbled me so often with your commitment to share the gospel. Do you remember talking about the Evangel Cube? And, and I remember you, I, I, I was so convicted 
Um, guys, if you don't know this, we'll put a link into the Evangelicube. It's a really cool way to share the gospel very simply. Um, and I remember you telling me you were getting ready to go to bed one night and realize that you had not fulfilled your promise to the Lord to share the gospel with somebody. And you went, what was it, to a Wawa or 7-Eleven? <laughs> walked around until you found somebody that you could share the gospel with. I'm thinking, holy cow, I do not live this way. And it's it's amazing to me that you could be that committed but still have this churning going on in your life and Satan whispering all of these discouraging thoughts and just kind of just kind of beating you up while the Lord's trying to pull you up. That tension is crazy challenging. Yeah, it was that, you know, Bible says, you know, it's the battlefield of the mind. Yeah. And so as I'm doing the work of the Lord, and at the same time, privately, I'm having these thoughts that are kind of coming into my mind. And, and a lot of what I would call regrets of the past, mistakes and stuff that I had made. And different experiences, negative experiences that I have, I was going through, and that all of a sudden they seemingly came all on me like an avalanche all at one time. And I reflected upon the previous church I was a part of, where we had to go three lawsuits and the IRS, and then then the former pastor come in and kick me out of the church, and I'm fighting for my life, man, <laughs> trying to stay there. And then uh, he gets his friends and disfellowship me from another church, and and then I'm like kind of again in the pit, and. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I have I lose a couple of jobs that I need. Uh, a couple of church plans fail, and all of a sudden, my self image begins to to kind of crumble. And so I'm at a point right now where these 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 thoughts are coming into my mind. And and at that time, my mindset was, well, if a thought comes to my mind, I ought to at least think about it, which was a major mistake. I did not know what to think about and what to think about. When you realize that 74% of your thoughts are negative, 75% of your thoughts are negative, counterproductive, and work against you, I realized that three out of four thoughts were negative. So as I isolated myself, I got into this deep uh, vortex of negativity because I'm very a very positive person, but I had become a full-fledged negaholic, man. I said, Lord, something is wrong with me. I said, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm not the same guy. Help me. And so I'm crying out to the Lord in prayer. You know, my church plans kind of, you know, on shaky ground. And I and I just begin to pour out my heart to the Lord. And I remember praying and I fell out on my knees, Mike. And I just said, Lord. Help me, because I'm I'm going down this pit again. I'm going down this slippery slope. And Lord, I think this might be the last time I may not come to. Because I was entertaining for the first time, like suicidal thoughts for the first time in my life. I married a beautiful woman. I have three great kids. And I'm entertaining suicidal thoughts. And I say, Lord, help me, Jesus. And as I fell out on my knees, tears flowing from my eyes. I just said, uh, Lord, help me. And the Lord said, after I got my, oh, my cry now, he said, because I've done this plenty of times, you know, and I'm trying to search my way through. And the Lord just says, listen, get up off your knees, wipe off the tears off your face. I want you to go down to the, a bookstore. And and so I'm so I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to go to the bookstore. I'm going to find a book on church plant that's going to help me to turn this, turn this Titanic around. And I get to the bookstore, and I see this book entitled, a better way to think. And a better way to think. I said, boy, I sure do need to figure that one out, man. 
And, and what's important now, Mike, at this particular time is the, the Lord and I really aren't doing that much talking because I'm mad at God because of the fact church plan didn't go well. I got some financial crisis in my life. You know, one of my sons not acting right way, you know. So I'm mad at God. So he and I really are not, are not talking that, that very much, you know what I mean? Then the Holy Spirit says this to me one day in the midst of my crying. I'm tear, he said, listen, son. If you get mad at and stop speaking to the God of heaven, who in hell is going to help you? And that shook me up. Boy, that's a stark question right there. (laughs) That'll scare you. That'll scare you. I said, who in hell? I said, nobody in hell is going to help me, man. I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my mindset. Forgive me for, for feeling as though you've rejected me and all those types of things. And I began to read that book, A Better Way to Think. And that was the journey that I realized that it really wasn't my external circumstances. It was just the way that I was thinking. I did not know how to think my way out of this particular situation. I thought myself into it, but I didn't know how to think myself out of it because I didn't have the tools with respect to thought management, not something that we really kind of talk about very much and not talk about in the church, except for Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which, you know, what's that mean? But not a lot on how to manage your thoughts. And so through that, the Lord just said, okay, listen, I'm going to show you. And I read that book, and then I began to see that negative dark cloud begin to lift from my head. And I began to begin to see the, 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 the light of the sun, S-O-N, and I, all of a sudden, my personality and my mindset, I was returning to my old self, the old chip, man. Yeah. And I like the feel of that. <laughs> and, and the darkness and the depression and the sadness began to lift. And the Lord said, said this to me. He said, now listen, by my grace, you didn't quit in the pit. But there are many other men who are still in the pit. Yeah. And I want you to take what this process that I took you through, this storm that I tracked you through, and I want you to put it down on paper so that the other guys who are in the pit, guys, women, children in the pit, will now have a lifeline to get out of the climb out of that pit. And what the Lord then let me see was this. And he said, he said, Chip, I want you to know, I had not rejected you. Mm-hmm. I was merely redirecting you to a new ministry and a new call on your life to help people learn a better way to think, to learn how to think right so they could live right by equipping them with the skills to know what thoughts you should think about, what thoughts you shouldn't think about, and then how to take those cap those thoughts captive so we can walk in victory. And that was my journey that lasted several years. Um, wow. So a couple of things. Um there are some folks that could hear this and hear you talking about thoughts and all of this and think, okay, this is some um, new age uh, self-help sort of stuff. But I know you and I hear your heart. I hear you referencing scripture. I've read not all of this, but I've read enough of it to know that this is biblically based. So I want to stop right now and have you affirm the fact that we are talking about mental health, we're talking about thought life, we're talking about all those things, but this is, your approach to this is completely biblical, it's Christocentric, it's, you know, God is sovereign, the Word is truth, and I'm just trying to live by that more consistently and function the way God designed me, not the way Satan wants to torment me into thinking. Is that is that fair? How do you how do you speak to that? Because you probably get some pushback on this from time to time, don't you? 
Yeah, because people don't kind of understand it. In the book, I have a little pyramid, okay? And at the base of that pyramid is the Bible because, you know, we're spiritual beings, okay? As we progress up the pyramid, we have um, what we call neuro, we have neuroscience. It's basically how your brain works, okay? And at the very top, we have CBT, which is psychology. Now, why are those three disciplines important? Because God is a trichotomous being, and God made us as trichotomous beings, spirit, soul, and body. And so in the church, so, so the, book is, the book basically weaves together theology, neurology, and psychology. Why? Because you're going to deal with your thoughts. You've got to deal with the whole man. The Bible tells you biblically how to deal with your thoughts, okay? The neurology tells you from a brain standpoint how your brain works and how it's wired and how to create new neurological pathways into your brain. So you need to realize how your brain works and that your brain is so desired, designing, it's going to push back on anything new be it good or bad, but it gravitates more toward negativity because of our fallen nature. And then psychology tells us about how we think. And so in order, so the reason that the book is effective because in fact, it covers the entire man, spirit, soul, and body. I've got over 300 Bible verses in that particular thing. And I have over 350 footnotes that are basically letting you know that it will, the plan will work. Now, the reason that the Lord gave me this particular approach, Mike, is to understand this. When I was writing portions of this particular book, going through the journey, God and I weren't talking. We weren't talking. I had begun as a pastor to be, to not even believe the Bible because of how discouraging, discouraged I was. So I said, okay, now if I'm not going to believe the Bible, what scientific evidence is there that my, I could actually change my mind, that my mind can be changed? And so I began to dive into neuroscience and I began to see this, this is based on science. This is scientific proof. And this is what I found, that all fact-based science will basically support scripture. That science and scripture are not in contradiction to the other, but, but true fact-based science will complement scripture. And then I had to realize, okay, my psychology, my mind was in such a nature that it, God designed in such a way that our, mind, our minds through what we call neuroplasticity are able to change. And so, so my faith in God got a little wobbly, but then as I began to recognize how my brain worked, they kind of all converged together that, hey, the Bible is true, science proves it, and psychology also proves how we can change if there's a desire to change. So they all married together, and that's, that's the beauty of the book. And when we were doing our doctoral research trial, where you have to have these trial groups, it had a 92.8% success rate for those who, who read every page and applied the various scriptures to it. So it's just, it's, you, you'll have more Bible verse in there. You can shake a stick at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, so as you're talking about this, it makes me think the neuroplasticity thing and the neuroscience, uh, brain chemistry, uh, I, I obviously you guys have heard this who are listening to the podcast. I talk with a, with a lot of guys, a lot of churches about pornography. And pornography, men's use of pornography actually reformats your brain. And it's so I would say it's the exact same sort of mechanisms here that it, there's actually a book uh, called How How Porn Rewires Your Brain, I think. And so you just get wired. There are new pathways created because of the ecstasy that that sort of exposure creates. And it's hard work to un, unravel that problem those 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 issues where your brain wants that type of 
um, response. And so it seems to me that the, the neuroplasticity, the understanding of brain science here is the same way. If you develop a pattern toward thinking a particular way, then it's not that you can't back up from that. It's just an intricate process to back up, and it takes some work. It's not easy. Is that fair comparison? Yeah, one of the things you need to realize that negative is this, and negative thoughts do not go away. They have to be replaced. See, you, you, you can pray all you want for God to change your mind and that kind of stuff. No, they have to be replaced. So essentially, with the whole aspect, let's stick on the pornography thing a little bit, because that's the other area that I'll be going into in my next book, yeah. is the realization that with pornography, it stimulates certain areas of your brain. It then creates pathways so for you seeking that particular pleasure out over and over and over again. And see, so what happens now before, now if you were, let's say you're an adult man, okay? And now as young, as young people, Mike, you know, as young guys, I don't know about you, I shared my story, you know, you get introduced to a pornography back in the day with the Playboy and different things like that. Many times your dad had them or a neighbor had them, okay? Right. Now, this is the thing. Old school pornography was not as um, mentally addictive as the modern day stuff is because of the fact of when you're looking at it, a lot of, and you're looking at it on the internet, all those light shares that it brings into your mind, it rewires your brain a lot faster and, and kind of tattoos these images on your brain. So it's harder to get off. But but note this, the way to basically kind of work your way off of that particular pornography is the realization that you're going to have to present new images right. into your into your mind and to and then and the new images basically are not going to be as stimulating as the as the images. In fact, one guy did a did a, a study some time ago, Mike, with respect to um, his name slipped at the moment, but he was dealing with butterflies and and how they how they basically do it was this that they they presented to the male butterfly images of female butterflies. But because of the art and all, they, they made them look a whole lot much better than the regular. And so the male butterflies began to gravitate toward the pictures of these enhanced images of these butterflies, artificial butterflies, so they, they no longer even, even desire the, the real thing, the, the, the real butterfly, because the enhanced images. And so that's what happens to us. These images, these enhanced images of these girls all brushed up, touched up, look so good so that, so that when you see the real thing, there's no interest in it. Right. And so a lot of the young guys are experiencing ED and a lot of different problems because of the fact the stimulation is not there. So now we have to rewire our brain to say, okay, let's get off of those particular images. And the way your thoughts work is that if you stop thinking a certain thought, the thought will begin to die off. Right. And then you got to replace it with the proper images with you, with your wife. And, and that does take some time and it does take a commitment because thoughts stay in your brain. And certain triggers will simply bring them back. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to keep in mind. So therefore, it, it is doable. It's just going to be, you have to have a commitment to want to change. If you do not want to change, you're not going to change. But if your desire is strong enough, it, you, you can overcome it just like you can overcome anything. And, and gosh, guys, we could go in all kinds of directions here because the statement that you just made about those thoughts coming back into your mind, guys, you have to know your triggers. Um, and I can explain triggers very easily. I I, when I go visit my parents, it used to be when I walked through the door, I was going to the snack cabinet and I was going to get me a moon pie or an oatmeal cake or something. And I, I look, I'm 52 years old. I go see my mama now. And the first thing I want to do is walk through the door and get a snack. And so, you know, there's certain things that trigger us to move in certain behaviors. You have to know what those triggers are 
whether it's pornography or food or even negative thinking, because someone may say something to you and they mean as a compliment or at the very worst mean it as something benign. But if you are, as as Chip pointed out here, if you're a negaholic, then you're going to see that as a negative, no matter how it was presented or intended. And so I, I, part of what you're doing over this 20 day, 21 day process is teaching people how to receive those thoughts that come into their minds and process them differently. There is, there is a mechanism, there's a strategy that you learn to do that. And so why don't you tell us, um, you, you've got the filthy five that you talk about. So five ways that our thoughts turn to negativity. And so you've identified those and then given some ways for guys to battle that. So tell us a little bit about that. Now, we've all, many of us have heard the, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. He says, finally, but whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell or think on these things. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're supposed to think, okay? But we know we're in a battlefield of the mind, okay? So there, but there are certain things that are preventing us from thinking on those good, righteous, Bible-believing things, and that's what I call the filthy fire. There are five thoughts that if we learn, and this is what pulled me out of the pit, okay? There are five thoughts we need to know we should not think about. Because these five thoughts, these filthy five, will lead you into depression and lead you into negaholism and, and oftentimes right into suicide. You let it continue to go. So these are the filthy five. Now, I wasn't that good in school, so I'm going to give you an acrostic, okay? <laughs> but I spell first. They, they, they go by first, but instead of F-I-R, it's going to be F-U-R-S-T. How many years F- do you spend in the third grade? <laughs> I spent two years in second grade. Like, did I tell you that? No, I'm just giving you a hard time to spell first with a U. <laughs> That's another story, Mike. Let's put right. another broadcast on that one. <laughs> but here, I want to give you this first. Now, the reason I use in the book, you'll see a, a number of acrostics because the fact your brain simply needs mental hangers. As we say, hey, you know, I kept my brain, my memory's going bad. No. Many times, what it, all it is is the fact you have not given your brain a mental hanger to hang the information on. So when you go try and retrieve it, the brain says, like, where is it? Okay. So here's, here's, the, here's the acrostic for the filthy five first, F-U-R-S-T. The number one thought, well, all five, you're going to we'll find we focus in on certain areas. But the, but the fear of the future is the F. F is fear of the future. When we hear in our mind the thought, well, what if? What if I can't pay that bill? What if indeed I'm, I'm not going to be able to, you know, pick my speaking engagement up after the, the, the COVID virus is up? You know, what if my child gets sick? What if I lose my job? They're going to stop with this, what if? And that's a cue to you. Hey, this is another thought I should be thinking about. So we got fear of the future. The next thought we have that comes up is the you, and that's unhealthy comparisons. Unhealthy comparisons. This is the idea of trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, you got a car, you got a job, but listen, it's not as nice as the, as, as the Joneses car across the street. You know what I mean? Um, I'm making good money on my job, but I'm not making as much as so-and-so. It's the same thing with, with, with David and Saul. Because again, this, this thing is laced with the Bible. So you think about Saul and David. King Saul and David were really great, doing very well, loving each other, encouraging one another, until one day, 
when they uh, they were coming back from battle, and <laughs> the ladies, the maidens were singing in, in, in the courtyard, and the ladies sang a song, Top 40, man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saul has killed his thousand, but David is 10,000. And that, and Saul then engaged in unhealthy comparisons, right. and all of a sudden that loving relationship turned to one of envy, murder, and Saul. Saul spent the second half of his life trying to kill David because of unhealthy comparisons. Well, it's a pastor. My church is such and such a size. You you only got hundred. So the pastor's got fifty people. He want he's. I mean, the guy's got hundred. Guy's got hundred. I mean, the guy wants fifty. Guy's got twenty fifty. You know, uh, uh, two thousand. He's. I mean, the guy's got five thousand, and it never ends. That's right. It was unhealthy comparisons. Now, here's the big one that was getting me, Mike. The R in the filthy five are regrets of the past. Regrets of the past. Mm -hmm. If only I hadn't made that decision, that investment. My wife told me not to do it. I did it anyway. If I, if I only hadn't left that particular job. See, those regrets of the past weigh you down to such a degree that you cannot think clearly, and the enemy knows that it's a cue. So you see something on TV, all of a sudden, it regrets. Boom, you know, that, that's what happened to my son and I. I didn't I did exercise the patience that I needed with them. And now our relationship is fractured. And we have so many, I had so many regrets in the past, Mike. It was like I was under a pile. I couldn't even begin to pick my head up to see my way clear. But I was reflecting upon these filthy five regrets of the past. Now, the problem with the regrets of the past, and that is this. Regrets of the past lead right into self-condemning thought. Right. See, the regrets of the past. Think about the prodigal son, how they both link together. He decides to leave home and to go out and party, wine and dine and all the kind of things. And then he winds up. So he winds up then thinking to himself, man, he's in a pig pen. He's now thinking, man, life was sure better at home. But then he ends up saying these words. He says, listen, I'm going to go back home, but I am no longer worthy to even be considered a son. You see? And as we dwell upon those regrets of the past, they lead us into self Condemning thoughts. I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. I'm no longer worthy. I'm a. I'm the poorest excuse for a Christian. And that was the one devil put on me all the time. Now I'm pastor for 17 years. Got a degree from a top seminary. But man, you know, you you are a poor excuse for a Christian. Self-condemning thoughts and that self-talk is dangerous. Now this is what happens. That self-condemning thoughts lead us and make us more vulnerable into into the last category, which is temptations. Right. Because when I'm feeling down and I'm feeling hopeless. I'm then more vulnerable to satanic voices. So now I'm feeling down. So instead of eating one donut, I eat all 12 of them. <laughs> okay. yep. Instead of eating one piece of pizza, man, I'm going to eat the whole entire pizza, man, and then drink a Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So now I'm feeling down and feeling worthless. So now pornography all of a sudden is, 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 is I'm more susceptible to because I'm feeling down. Basically, and when we engage in these self-condemning thoughts, what we're really doing is we're, we're looking for, temptations basically is we're looking for a way out of our pain, but they're unproductive ways. So you, you're, you're feeling down. So let me go get high. Let me go drink some beer. See, and that makes you more susceptible to temptation. And so the key component in these filthy fibers to recognize when these thoughts come, I should not be dwelling. They are not of God. And that's my mistake right there. Was I did not know these thoughts were not of God because they popped into my head. And I just thought, you know, it must be God. But fear of the future thoughts are not of God. Unhealthy comparisons are not of God. Regrets of the past are not of God. Self-condemning thoughts are not of God. And these temptations are not of God. And once and once I learned that I could, I should not be thinking these thoughts, I then realized the other thing, then I got to replace these thoughts.
And that was one of the key things right there, which led into the, uh, the, the, the thought management strategy that I derived from Jesus in the garden. We can't stop those thoughts from coming to our mind. And it, it, but we're taught in Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthians to take every thought captive, right? And so that's, that's part of this process. So you, we've got to take those thoughts captive and not let our thoughts become who we are. You use the term stinking thinking, and I know, I know some other guys who've been through challenges in life that use that frequently, and they, they recognize that they can get into a cycle where they, they feel uh, ashamed of what they are or, or what they've done, and they feel guilty about it, and so then that guilt causes them to look for some way to satisfy that pain, to make it go away, so they self-medicate with some sort of bad behavior that takes them right back into this cycle, and it just it just perpetuates because it's bad thinking. They, and, and, and so what you're doing is helping us take those thoughts captive with a very prescriptive strategy. And, and so I want you to introduce these three C's. You go to alliteration in this that's kind of the process of taking those thoughts captive. Just kind of introduce that concept. And, and then because of time, we're going to need to close this down and, and leave people hungry because they're going to want to learn more. And we'll talk about how they can get to this information. So so essentially then, okay, so you got these thoughts. And as Mike stated, the thoughts are going to come. Uh, the human brain produces anywhere from 12,000 to 50,000 thoughts in a given day. Okay. And they just kind of come. They just kind of come. We don't remember a bulk, but we don't remember most of them. In fact, we only remember about 5% of those. But basically, that's our brain as a thought factor. It's just pumping down thoughts, okay? And the beautiful thing that helped set me free was the realization that I was not responsible for every crazy, zany thought that popped into my head. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that set me free then, Mike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just your brain. It's just the fall of mankind. That's right. Compromising so all kind of crazy stuff will come into your head. The key thing is simply the whole strategy, like, you know, like the bird, you know, you can't prevent a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from nest, making a nest in your head. So that's what, that's what the book will teach you. The book will teach you basically based on Jesus Christ and his interaction with Satan in the garden, in the wilderness, right. Satan came to him and, and, and said, you know, you know, Hey, you know, if you're the son of man. And so, and, and he said, if you're the son of man, you know, turn your stones into bread, this man. Jesus basically just kind of checked the thought. The, the, the threefold strategy is this, check, challenge, change, and then reframe. So check, challenge, change, and reframe. I made it for you, pastors, so you, you can preach it real easy, guys. It's <laughs> <laughs> good move. <laughs> check, challenge, change, reframe. So when a thought comes into your mind, you got to check it. Basically, you have to ask yourself the question, what kind of thought is it? That's what you're first to cross the country. Is it a fear of the future? Is it an unhealthy comparison? Is it a regret of the past? Is it a self-condemning thought? Is it indeed a temptation? So you got to check the thought. That's the first check. You got to recognize what kind of thought it is. So the book helps you begin to monitor your thoughts, mindfulness. Think about what you're thinking about. So you got to check your thought. Then you got to challenge your thought. Now, some people say, well, Pastor, I can't remember what the first is. You know, it takes a little while to get to it. So then, so then you challenge the thought, okay? meaning you resist it. Then you ask yourself these questions. Okay, on that second little diagram we have, is this thought true? And you say, it may be true. A few of the future is, okay, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to be able to pay my rent now that, you know, the, the, um, uh, I lost my job during the coronavirus. So the question then, as you check the thought, you recognize the fear of the future that I'm dealing with. We then go to the challenge of thought. Well, is this thought true? The thought is indeed true. 
I don't have my pay my rent come because of uh, I lost my job. But the next thing, if I use a little think across T, is it true? Is this thought helpful? No. Is this thought inspiring? No, it brings me down really low. Is this thought non-condemning? No, it makes me feel like I'm a really poor provider. And is this thought keeping in line with scripture? And the answer is no. Would God want you worrying about your future and how you're going to pay your rent? So it's not keeping in line with scripture. So after you check it, and then you challenge it, and then you change it. And change stands for fight opposition, constantly using, using scripture. It stands focus. You then have to change it. Again, negative thoughts do not go away. You simply have to replace it. So now what do I do with that particular fear of the future? I then find a Bible verse that basically shows me what my mindset should be about the future. I could take Matthew, for instance, 5, and Jesus say, take no thought about tomorrow. What you're going to eat? What you're going to drink? You know, what clothes you're going to wear, okay? I could take Philippians chapter 4. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. I could go back and take Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper your plans to hard to, to, to give you hope in the future. And what you do is you jot them down on a piece of 3 by 5 card. When I began this mental uh, process, Mike, I had one card, one card, and I simply jotted a scripture down on it. And now I got, I got a bunch of cards now because my brain was just that, that messed up. But you can rewire your brain, okay? So that's what you know. So then you check the thought, check it, challenge it, change it. Now, the last thing I want to say is this. Now, there are some thoughts that you, you do, you check the challenge, you change, and the thoughts keep coming back again. They keep coming back again. And you don't know how to get rid of those. There are some thoughts and there are some experiences, men, that we have had that we have to reframe. We have to reframe. So it's check, challenge, change, reframe. Let me give you this last example before we close out. You remember the story, guys, about how Joseph was um, uh, his, his dad's favorite son. Dad made him a coat of many colors, man. Just pulled the guy right, right? So the brothers got envious of him. Again, unhealthy comparison. Uh, got envious of him and said, man, we're going to get rid of this guy. So they then take Joseph, and they decide they're going to kill him. But Reuben talks about it, killing him. And so they throw him into a pit, and then they decide to sell him into slavery. 15, 17 or so years go by, okay? Joseph's young as a teenager. Now he's in his mid-30s. He's been in jail. He's gone through all sort of hardship, difficulty, accused of rape. He's in jail, really doing poorly. And then he interprets it, the king's dream. Boom, he gets exalted all the way to the prime minister. Well, now, fast forward from that particular experience. Joseph then sees his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them. And all of a sudden, he realized, man, all those memories begin to flood right back into his mind of the hurt and the things they should have never done what they did to me. I, I, I didn't do anything to them. So these, in these emotions, these thoughts flood his mind, and Joseph has a decision he has to make. So he finally brings his brothers into an audience, a private audience, and he reveals to, him, to them who he is. And I imagine the brothers are thinking, man, we are dead meat. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's going to kill us, man, as sure as his name. We're dead. And then Joseph says something very interesting. He says this to his brothers. He says, man, don't fear for your life. He said, you thought of for evil, but God meant it for good, that he would send me ahead to ultimately save you. And so by Joseph basically reframing the very negative and very painful experience in his life, he chose to reframe it so that instead of becoming bitter, that experience could help make him better. And there are certain experiences that you've had, adverse childhood conditions and experiences of molestation and, uh, and, 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 and uh, negative things that happen to you, things people have said that have basically haunted you over and over and over again. And, and in order for those thoughts to go away, you simply need to reframe it. You got to find an at least. 
at least I would uh, they didn't kill me. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I am in a position right now where I can help other people. The purpose and the pain, Joseph found the purpose. And so with that check, challenge, change, and reframe is how you then therefore begin to address those thoughts. And you've got a clear-cut biblical mandate with respect to how to do it and that you no longer have to be a slave to your thoughts. You can now therefore, therefore master your thoughts and get a grip on You'd get a checkup from the neck up, and that's what the book will help you to do. It'll tell you how to change, how to how to control your thoughts rather than your thoughts controlling you. Wow. Well, that's that's cool because there's a process that we really can go through, and it's it it's it's biblically sound. And so you go back. You mentioned Romans twelve two earlier. You really are working. This is how one renews their mind. And, and, and so it, it really is renewing your mind by memorizing and applying Scripture. We're following Jesus' example of how he responded to Satan's temptations in the wilderness. And, and so this, what you've done is codify this and help guys and women understand that there's a process that you can use. And, and I'll, I, I'll just tell you, folks, this is a pretty thick book. The process looks a little clunky, but here's what I understand about this is that the learning process you have to go through so that you can do this quickly and and you begin to assess, okay, is this a good thought or a bad thought and what am I going to do with this? And then all of a sudden, if you've memorized the scripture over time, then the scripture's on your tongue that you're going to use to do battle with. But if you don't do the hard work of getting through there, through this part of the valley, then you're never going to be able to stand on the mountain where you have the firm footing on the rock that Paul's talking about, Chip's talking about here. So, um, Chip, how can they get in touch with the book? How can they follow up with you? What's the best way to do that? So the best way, if you wanted to get this book here today, you know, you can go to Amazon.com, you know, with Amazon Books. You want to get the second edition, so I, I put some a, a extra stuff in it, okay? So you want to get Think Right, Live Right, you type in the name Dr. Paul Chipman, second edition, it'll pop up there um, and you can get the book. If you want like an autographed copy of the book, you could, you could give me a call. I'll give you my telephone number even now, and I'll send you a little autograph copy of it. But the book is the book is $25. It's, you know, it's like Mike said, it's got a little bit of width to it. But what we need to realize about our brain, and that is this. It takes up, it's, the book is called a 21-day plan. And the book, I had some people who have read this book in 21 days, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but this is how your brain works. Your brain, it takes 21 days to rewire your brain. But it takes three consecutive 21 days, so basically 63 days, for that change to become more permanent in your brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I tell, encourage people: Hey, read a couple, three pages each and every day, digest what you have, and then kind of move forward with it, and not be so in a condition in which you're feeling like, "Hey, this thing is too big." It's like the whole aspect to say, "How to eat an elephant one, one bite at a time." Simply start there you on go. page one and begin to read it. But you can you can basically contact me. Our website, Think Right, Live Right. There's a spot there, uh, and I'll show you how to contact me. But I'm gonna give you my I'm gonna give you my cell number right now, real quick. If anybody wants to call me to talk about it, uh, 804-387-9129. That's 804-387-9129. In addition to this, Mike, we also do a lot of counseling as well. So I counsel a lot of pastors. We do marriage and family counseling as well. And if you find yourself in the droves of this particular thing, hey, I've been there, done that. There is a way out. And, and, and that's what I do. That's what I do full time. This was a new area of ministry. 
counsel with pastors, counsel with couples, uh, helping to save marriages, just simply by the way you think. Your marriage is not as bad as you think. <laughs> as yep. it, it's just, it, but it's, it is as bad as you think. It's just not what you expected. So we help you to lower some of those expectations, and we help you basically just to, to learn how to think for a change. Yeah. And not just stay trapped in a, a negative habit loop of negative thinking and pessimism. Wow. Um, and that's what the book will do for you. So it's a valuable book. Well, Chip, Dr. Paul Chipman, thank you so much for being with us. I just have loved this, and I'm thankful. This is our first installment of sharing some April wisdom, and it's been great to have you. This has been a lot of fun. Guys, I want to sh- I share this verse with you from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, look carefully how you then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are, are evil. So, guys, we've got to move from unwise to wise. And one of the ways we can do that is to manage our thoughts differently, to bring them under the covering and protection of the Lord and uh, use Scripture to do battle, just like Chip's teaching us here. So check out, we'll put all this information in the show notes, so check it out. Reach out to him. He'd love to come and talk with you or your church, your men's group, and uh, and serve you in some way to help you with this uh, with this process. So Chip, any final comments? I would just like to say um, it's been a great, it was, been, it was a tough journey, but I want to thank you, Mike, for being there with me through the process. I want to encourage those guys who are in this situation where the devil's telling you there's nobody you can talk to, uh, you're just stuck in this particular spot. No, there is somebody who you can talk to. There is indeed a way out, and don't believe the lies of the enemy. Hope, hope is here, and, and God, this is God sovereignly ordained this time for you to be listening at this particular time get the help that you need and i'm available for you 24 7 okay awesome i love it well chip thank you so much guys we look forward to being with you next week for another installment of april wisdom on the noble man cop podcast we'll talk to you then god bless your friends bye-bye